0: Welcome to the Insight Podcast. My guest today is Lisa Simon. Lisa is a registered dietitian whose passion is diet and fertility. She's also the author of the book, The Plant-Based Dietitian's Guide to Fertility. I talked to Lisa about how it is that food can affect fertility. Lisa's experience with trying to conceive and the changes she made to her diet and lifestyle. The foods she recommends people who are trying to conceive add to their diet and the foods she recommends reducing or eliminating, and much more. Enjoy the episode. So, I'm always interested to hear about when people have changed their opinion on a topic. Is there anything that you've changed your opinion on in, say, the last year or so?
1: Well, actually, this might be quite controversial, but since working in CAMS, so that's child and adolescent mental health, I work in an inpatient unit for children with mainly eating disorders, or they're the ones that I see. So, I've completely changed my mind on nutrition messages that I actually used to. Do myself, and specifically the Eat Well Guide. I used to think that the Eat Well Guide was a brilliant tool. I used to use it all the time in my educational sessions, but actually now I think that it's quite a negative tool to be teaching to our children. And I know it's a bit Ooh, a <laughs> dietitian <laughs> saying that. Yeah,
0: but, tell me more.
1: <laughs> yeah, but actually, I mean, there are some great things about the Eat Well Guide. There's, you know, a lot of focus on fruits and vegetables and starchy carbohydrates and the composition of the plate, which is which is brilliant. But there are lots of negative things about it that I didn't actually pick up on before. So for example, teaching children that foods like chocolates and cakes and biscuits are outside the plate. So demonising those foods straight away, teaching children they can't actually be part of a, a balanced diet, but they're they're things that we you know you should be afraid of or you should purposely cut out of your diet. There's the calorie thing at the bottom where it says all women should have 2000 calories all men should have 2500 calories. And I am not a fan of calorie counting in any way. I think it's really damaging. And also, as we know, calories are not the same. We don't have the same requirements as, as each other. We're all very different depending on our height, our weight, our activity levels. And there are lots of things that, that determine how many calories we should be having. And then also the um, traffic light thing at the, f- at the mm. top where it color codes food. So, this can be a useful guide, but there are certain foods like avocados that we know are really healthful. They would come out as red for the fat content. So, people will go, Oh, I shouldn't eat those. And, or dried fruit will come out as red for sugar. So, we should avoid those as well. You know, there's lots of things about the Eat Well guide that actually can. Portray a, f- a few mixed messages and, and not altogether healthy messages for for children to be looking at.
0: Yeah, interesting. It's so tricky, isn't it? Because I suppose working with people, children with eating disorders are so much so sort of very sensitive to these messages, aren't they? Negative and positive, and oh, yeah, it's uh, I don't know what, what what might be the alternative. Have you have you thought about that? How you how you might present it differently?
1: Yeah, we do actually have an alternate tool called the uh, Real Food Pyramid. Okay. So it's, the bottom layer contains all fruits and vegetables, um, starchy carbohydrates, protein, calcium sources, and water as well, because water is, fluids are really, really important. And then it goes up in in levels. So there's a layer dedicated to fats and oils, which are really important for everyone's health, including women trying to conceive and men um but there's also a layer in there called fun foods and social interactions and that's where those cakes and and chocolate and things fall in and it's really important because often we think of food as just being nutrition Mm. but actually there's a lot more to food and, and, and many more reasons why we eat food and those social interactions are so so important not just for physical health, but mental—you know—our mental health as well. So I love the fact that that you know the real food pyramid includes those foods in there as well. That we should have not in plentiful amounts, but certainly as part of a balanced diet, they they have their place.
0: Yeah, balanced diet and a balanced life—that's what it's all about, isn't it? And yeah, why miss out on those foods because they're being served at a party or you go around to a family event and that's what's served? And yeah, it's so tricky, isn't it? but that's interesting. Fun foods and what was it? Fun foods and social interaction. Yes. All right. Okay. Okay. So like kind of highlighting the fact that yes, we can enjoy these um, on the occasional basis and, and go for it. Don't beat yourself up about it. But maybe they're not part of your everyday, um, what you consuming every day. Interesting. Exactly. It's a, it's a pyramid as well, because we've gone back on ourselves then, haven't we? Because didn't we start with a the pyramid, then we went to a plate, and and now you're saying that actually we've gone back to a pyramid again, and, that, and that's a, a good way to represent it.
1: Yeah, it is. And actually, the top layer is diet, food, and fillers.
0: Right. So
1: it's saying that you shouldn't have too many of those um, diet foods and fillers like caffeine and um, things that people use to... Um, to not feel hungry so Mm. that's I I think that's really important to have those at the the top of the pyramid as well and for those to be included there I think it's really interesting
0: okay I'm going to close my ears a little bit to the to the reduce your caffeine because I'm a three or four (laughs) cups of coffee a day type of person Um, there's nothing
1: nothing wrong with that
0: (laughs) good that's good to hear from you (laughs) that's good to hear from you okay so let's move on because that we could go off on a tangent there, couldn't we, on on calorie counting and, and all other sorts of things. But um, I'll try and bring this back into the topic of today's episode, which is diet and fertility. Um, so could we start off by talking about, or you explaining, because I'm really curious to know, how is it that diet can affect fertility?
1: Oh, it's a huge topic. <laughs> it can affect it. in so it's interesting, actually, because certain components of food can affect your fertility negatively or it can affect your fertility positively. So I don't know which one you want me to start at because I could go off on loads of tangents. You might have to pull me back.
0: Go for it. Just just go for it. (laughs) Don't worry. I guess start with the positives. We like to start with positives.
1: (laughs) Okay. So basically the positives are eat more plants. And we have... Lots and lots and lots of data, and especially from the Nurses' Health Study 2 that's been running for years. Um, and actually, I'm really looking forward to data from the Nurses' Health Study 3, because that is part of that is looking specifically at fertility outcomes. So that's going to be really, really exciting. But Shivaro et al. have written loads of papers about how diets higher in plant proteins can significantly reduce your risk of ovulatory infertility, that you know, there are so many components of plant foods that are beneficial for fertility. So you're looking at the macronutrients, fiber, hugely important, and especially for women with hormone driven conditions like endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome. If you eat plenty of fiber, when that goes into your gut, when your liver is kind of filtering all the toxins and excess hormones and things that it does every day, those hormones combined with the fiber in your gut and you'll excrete it in your feces so if you don't have enough fiber in your diet that can't happen and they'll just get recycled and that hormonal imbalance will continue mm-hmm. so fiber is really important getting adequate protein fats as we we're saying earlier fats are super important and lots of my female patients are deficient in fat in their diet because it's one of those foods that people may be a bit afraid of it's demonized and um, much in the same way as carbohydrates but have to remember that not all fats are equal in the same as you know with carbohydrates as well so for women it appears that monounsaturated fatty acids are really important for fertility um, there have been improved IVF outcomes shown when women eat diets high in monounsaturated fats they are thought to be involved in fetal development as well so really important you know, when you do fall pregnant and that's foods like avocados nuts seeds oils so again don't be afraid of oils olive oils vegetable oils have been shown to have multiple benefits and um, for men polyunsaturated fatty acids are important and sperm is predominantly made up of those so it stands to reason that you need to eat plenty of those in your diet for optimum sperm health as well so especially omega-3s and um, Now, the BDA, the British Dietetic Association, um, fact sheet on omega-3s talk about eating two portions of fish a week, one of which should be oily, and that provides about 450 milligrams of DHA EPA a day. So for plant-based eaters, fish get their omega-3 from algae, plant-based eaters get their omega-3 from algae. So that's why I recommend a supplement of around that much every day. Mm. You can make sure you're getting enough of that omega-3. Um, And then just all the micronutrients that are in plants. So especially things like vitamin C, B12, vitamin E, um, vitamin D is really important as well. And then iron and folate and folic acid that you get from the supplements. Um, Zinc, you know, there are so many different micronutrients, all of which have specific effects on male and female fertility.
0: Mm. And where might we find more of those micronutrients that you mentioned there? Um, you mentioned, well, it's folic acid and, and the different the, the range of different vitamins as well. So would you be suggesting a, a multivitamin to get them or are you also saying that lots of these plant foods have them in them already? And so that's why it's such a, a good approach to um, eating.
1: Yeah, you definitely don't need a multivitamin unless your diet oh, okay. <laughs> particularly bad um but just eating plenty of plant foods of fruits and vegetables nuts seeds whole grains legumes all of those foods will provide you with those micronutrients but also phytonutrients which Mm. are really important for fertility as well so they're um, compounds in plants that have anti-inflammatory antimicrobial antioxidant effects so they can counteract the damage caused by free radicals um, I can explain what those are in a minute if you want me to. Um, but you know, when we say eat the rainbow, that's that is really important because there are so many different phytonutrients. The most common one is polyphenols, and then they're kind of divided into subgroups as well. So you've got anthocyanins, which are really high in foods like blueberries, for example. And the smaller, bitter blueberries contain more than the larger, kind of sweeter blueberries flavanols and flavonols, so they're in things like herbs and spices coffee tea um cocoa and then you've got um isoflavones in soya so that's why it's really important as well to eat plenty of different and have a diverse plant-based diet because then you get all of these different phytonutrients in there as well
0: yeah so again and this happens so many times when i speak to different people about what diet do you recommend for this? What do you recommend for this? What do you recommend for protecting the planet? And what do you recommend for this certain, um, if you want to promote your health in a certain way or mental health, it seems to just come back to the same picture over and over again, a range of different colorful, vibrant plant foods. And then you are just eating those foods that they're just little packages of everything that you want, aren't you? And then when you eat such a range, you're, you're getting, um, everything you're getting everything all this this range of vitamins and of course the fiber that you mentioned as well so that's really really interesting um going back to you mentioned about plant protein and and i know i throw out that um term quite a bit as well but some people i guess listening might not know what we mean by plant protein i suppose plant protein as opposed to animal protein but you i think at the start mentioned that um the studies the into this into diet and fertility talked about higher levels of plant protein. Is that right? And so what what are we talking about there when we say plant protein?
1: So protein is everywhere in plants. Mm. Some of them contain higher amounts of protein than others. And there's a big myth um, that always does around on social media that you can't get all the essential amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein um, from plants. But that's a, that is a myth. All plants contain all nine essential amino acids, but just in different amounts. So that's why it's important to eat lots of different sources of protein. The best sources that you can have with the highest quantity is soya. So things like um, tofu, tempeh and seitan as well, um, which is a a wheat-based product. So not suitable for people with celiac disease, unfortunately. Um, But also, you know, edamame beans, and then legumes, so chickpeas and lentils and beans and nuts and seeds and whole grains, you have know, proteins everywhere. And you can easily meet even higher requirements. So for example, if you're into um, strength training, you do a lot of strength training every week and your protein needs could be as high as 1.6, 1.7 grams per kilo, you can still easily um, do that on a plant-based diet and you know lots of people say oh if you're plant based you'll be protein deficient where do you get your protein from but it is literally everywhere
0: it is, yeah. And I'd like to think that I'm kind of a walking example of that, to be honest. you know, I've, I've only eaten plant protein for five years and I've had no issue whatsoever in terms of putting on muscle and maintaining a very active lifestyle. I've run marathons, I've done fitness competitions, all these different things. And I have not taken a protein shake once in those five years, or even before that, I wasn't taking them. Um, so I just feel like yes my diet that includes so many of these ingredients that you're mentioning. It's very um whole food plant based and I'm just getting eating so many different types of beans, whole grains, nuts, seeds, all these things. And it just seems to take care of itself and I'm not worried. And that is, you know, I only know that or I only believe that I know that because of the work of people like you and others on social media that share this kind of information all the time and help bust those myths all the time. Um, like protein, like the amino acid content, that kind of different thing. So um, that's another good work that you're doing putting out there.
1: <laughs> so. And when I mean, you can get protein content, you can get 25 grams of protein in your breakfast easily. Yeah. And that's what I do every morning with my porridge. So you have oats and then you can add so many different things into it, like nut butters and mm. nuts and seeds and use soya milk. And there's even a high protein soya milk, which has five grams per hundred mil. Right. Um, I think Alpro do that. And um, so there's, yeah, there's, there's so many ways to, to get that protein in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so it seems another argument for, that I hear more and more from people is don't worry so much about protein, focus more on fiber. That seems to be a great message to put out there. Focus on the fiber um, for all those reasons that you've mentioned before. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And, Before we then move on to, because I want to ask about your story in terms of fertility and diet. Before then, the the one other thing I was going to ask was around inflammation, because you mentioned about um, gut health uh, and that role in terms of fertility. Is inflammation also something that is influencing? Is it because these certain foods reduce inflammation and other foods increase? Is that a very simplistic way of looking at it, or is that kind of a way that we can think about it?
1: Yeah, we can certainly think about it like that. And when you were saying earlier, what foods are negative? You know, can cause have negative effects on fertility. Inflammation is one of those those things. So, for example, diets high in animal protein have been shown to really increase the risk of ovulatory infertility. And in women, um, and in men, actually, there is there are things in in animal protein called advanced glycation end products or ages, and we have receptors for those throughout. Our bodies and throughout our reproductive system and when the age is attached to those receptors they cause this inflammatory reaction and there are receptors in the uterus and if the age is attached there it can cause inflammation in the uterus and actually prevent the embryo from implanting and it can attach around the ovarian um, follicles as well it can they can attach in the male reproductive system and negatively affect sperm so that's one of the reasons why we should be minimizing or avoiding animal products and meat especially and the cooking method of meat increases those ages further so if you dry cook them so if you grill or barbecue or fry meat the ages will increase significantly Um, so I always I always tell my male patients because sometimes they don't want to give up meat straight away or then, you know, they're not that keen to do it and they worry about a lot of things. So in that transition process, I say, well, the one thing that you can do is change a cooking method and that will reduce those ages quite significantly. So adding water in. So um, things like um, poaching or casseroling mm. or something like that is going to help, you know, while you're making those changes.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So maybe now we can move into your story, if you don't mind. Um, so your own experience of trying to conceive, and then you then made some changes, didn't you, to your diet and I believe your your lifestyle in general as well. Um, could you talk us about? Could you talk about that a little more? Because, I, of course, stories are the you know that's where the power lies, isn't it? Of of getting this information across and hearing about. Someone and what they went through and the changes that they made—it um, can be so impactful. So I'd, I'd love to hear your story, Lisa.
1: Yeah, well, it had it had a huge impact on on my life, and is the reason I've written my book about fertility because it's I'm so passionate about getting that message out there. So I had a, I have a fourteen year old son. And I thought that, you know, I I could conceive naturally, it wasn't a problem, I didn't worry about my fertility at all. Even though for the past kind of twelve or more years I hadn't had a period. And I'd been to the doctors and we'd had I'd had some tests done and when I was nineteen they told me that, you know, I might have issues conceiving. They said there were some cysts that they could see on an internal scan, but they didn't really go any further than that. And I didn't really ask any questions because at the time I was 19 and it wasn't even on my radar to have children. So when I conceived my eldest, I thought, oh, it's fine, you know, no problem. But then when my husband and I tried to conceive uh, our youngest, we had real problems. And we ended up going down the IVF route because at the time I was 37, I want to say 37, 36, 37. (laughs) And he was in his early 40s so we thought we don't really have a lot of time to to waste here so went down the IVF route and I was looking at anything that could help improve chances because a it's really expensive and we weren't eligible for NHS treatment because we had our eldest Um, and and b because it's a really horrible process to go through and anyone who's been through IVF will attest to that you know it has huge impacts on your Um, emotional your mental health and your physical health as as well it can impact your relationship it's a horrible thing to have to do so I stumbled across plant-based nutrition at that time and initially just thought I'm not sure about this you know it's I've heard of vegans and you know (laughs) I, I was because I'd I didn't know much about it at the time. I, I didn't think, you know, I thought it was a bit quackery. And But then I looked more into it and I thought, well, actually, there's a lot of science here. And the more I read, the more I was convinced that there was something to it. So I cut out meat and um, fish and eggs. So those things didn't bother me at all. I really struggled with dairy initially. And because I didn't know much about plant-based diets at the time, I thought that I had to have dairy to have calcium and es- especially when i found out that the ivf had been successful and i was pregnant i was really worried about taking calcium out of the diet for my growing baby mm. so obviously now i know different um but it wasn't until my son was diagnosed with cow's milk protein allergy when he was six weeks old that i stopped having dairy because i was feeding him and i've never gone back but The effects on my menstrual cycle were incredible. For the first time in well over a decade, I suddenly started having monthly periods. That's never changed in the last almost five years. Um, I also have endometriosis, which I'd had two laparoscopies for and had experienced very debilitating pain from that. I've never had pain I haven't had any pain in the last five years, and um, these obviously this is purely anecdotal, but it's based on such a strong evidence base that I thought, right, with my personal experience and also scientific brain, then I need to get this information out there.
0: Yeah, well, that, and that's what anecdotes do, don't they? It's kind of they they can set a spark in someone that then think, okay, right, let's let's investigate this further. So I see, I see your point, but then of course like you said you then went and researched it further and I'm guessing you know people and you've worked pe- with people as well who've made similar changes and then had successes as well is that is that right? <laughs>
1: so many of my patients have fallen pregnant and it's just it's the best thing when they email me to tell me that they are pregnant um, and I had one lady who lived abroad who had had unfortunately. Three miscarriages. Um, she was really struggling, and mm. what I find is when people come to me, it's almost they've they've gone through years of of trauma, and so I always focus on trying to get their kind of well being back. So we obviously we talk about food and and nutrition. Um, and I look to see if they've got any glaring nutritional deficiencies within the food diaries that they send me and, and what they're having, you know, on a, a weekly basis. But we really focus on the stress aspect as well, the stress management and other things in your life that can, that can be affecting your fertility and, and how you're feeling.
0: Because I guess, could that be some pushback that you might hear, I don't know, on on social media or, or anything like that or any kind of communication that, well, how do you know it's the diet that's making the difference? Or is it that you're saying, well, no, it's not just the diet. It is other things as well. But of course, diet is a, a big lever that you can pull that can increase your chances of conceiving. And so why wouldn't you do it Um and knowing that that is a, a very accessible, um, affordable thing for people to do to change their diet, you might even save money compared to your normal shop when you cut certain things out, mightn't you? Compared to um, what people have to, many people have to do, don't they? Going down the IVF route, which is very, very expensive, and as you say, can be emotionally draining as well. Um, so it's kind of two parts of that, not question, but like my end of the discussion. Um, yeah. So how, how do you know? how much of a role diet is playing and well that that is the main that is the main thing what what are your thoughts around that
1: <laughs> well i mean we there is a a huge amount of evidence to show that right. diet is, is really influential with fertility yeah. but it's like anything in life you can't just focus on one thing diet is just yeah. one piece of the puzzle and we take I practice lifestyle medicine, so looking at all of the pillars, so not just nutrition, but stress and exercise and sleep and the avoidance of toxic substances and mm-hmm. personal relationships, they, they all come together. And I think if you get your diet right and you get the stress management side of things right, those two things, especially working together, so important. And everyone is stressed. You know, the, our lives are stressful We're just... <laughs> constantly on the go no one seems to be able to relax including myself here (laughs) so any ways you know that you can anything you can put into place to help manage your stress will be really beneficial and I talk about lots of um things that I found useful when I was going through fertility treatment some of them are evidence-based some of them aren't but I like to share things that helped me relax and keep my anxiety levels down as well um so things like laughter therapy, which sounds a bit weird, but <laughs> all I'm talking about is after, so especially after embryo transfer during IVF, or if once you've tried to conceive, there are studies that show that women who are entertained, who laugh after that, during that time, are more likely to achieve a pregnancy. And so I put that into practice after my embryo transfer. So. My husband was driving, I had my phone and I was watching my favourite comedian all the way home from the clinic. When I got home, I lay on the sofa with my feet up and watched, carried on watching him and also maybe watched a bit of Friends as well. And just laughed pretty much for the entire afternoon. And in my mind, that meant my little embryo was burrowing into a nice kind of warm, happy, safe environment. And... I did a lot of positive visualisation as well, which I found really helpful. My husband refused point blank because he didn't want to get, he, he, he kind of remained quite emotionally detached during the whole process because he was so desperate for it to work. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to give himself any false hope, so he was just kind of on the outside emotionally, whereas I found it really helpful for me to, to do those positive visualisation steps throughout the whole process. To me, that helped reduce my anxiety.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And I suppose if anyone's doubting that or thinking, well, that sounds just a bit too, a bit too far out there, we'll just kind of encourage them to look up the work of Joe Dispenza and other people that, and this, all, all this stuff around the mind body connection. And yeah, growing up, we might not have been aware of it or thought, no, 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 that, that just sounds too far out there. But it just seems more and more now that we're understanding just how much mindset and positivity can play a role, can't they? And you've got to tell us who your favourite comedian is then. Who, who was it? The
1: <laughs> I actually watched Mickey Flanagan. Nice,
0: nice.
1: I, I saw him live with my dad. My, my husband was supposed to come, but he was really unwell. I think he had a concussion actually after playing football. So my dad came with me instead um, and I have loved him ever since.
0: <laughs> a positive association I like that and of course Friends is a classic I could just watch any Friends episode and be howling with laughter <laughs> it's great. Oh,
1: you not get bored of them do you you could just watch I, them on repeat.
0: Oh I think I've watched ev- every episode probably at least 10 times or maybe more I would not like to know <laughs> like the hours that I've spent just watching Friends and the US office as maybe listeners might know about me as well that's another private passion <laughs> um, anyway anyway right so you, you work with people and you're saying that you have this really holistic approach to it. So not just the food, but also stress management. I'm guessing exercise plays a role perhaps and and sleep uh, and all these things. But back to the the, the food element, I mean, you've already said which foods to focus on and maybe which foods to reduce. Is there anything else that you might like to add about how you work with people to kind of make those little changes. If, if people are like you mentioned, maybe perhaps the, the males that are a bit reluctant, reluctant to give up their meat at the moment. I don't know, just any other thoughts around that, how you can kind of nudge people in this direction and then what they report after that, you know, do, do they often feel better regardless of the, um, the facility, fertility side of things? Do they often just feel better anyway? Because I know that when I made changes to my diet, I felt lighter. I felt like I had a bit more clarity and just felt better generally and more energetic. Um, so any thoughts around that would be great. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I felt the same when when I switched to plant based diet as well. And I think it is important to do it properly because mm. a lot of people will say they feel awful once they've gone on a plant based diet. But because there can be lots of different reasons for that, and the main one is that people aren't eating enough. So you really mm. need to eat a lot more food when you're when you're on a plant based diet because it's naturally less calorie dense, um, and because it's so high in fiber, you don't absorb all of the calories in the food as well. So Eating plenty, supplementing correctly, not too many supplements because <laughs> that's that's a lot of. Um, I discuss that a lot with my patients because they've they've um, often been to see other people before they come to see me, and they've been put on these massive long list of of supplements that are costing them an absolute fortune. Um, so it's really important to to supplement correctly. Like B twelve should be mandatory, vitamin D during the winter, but that's for all people no matter what their what their diet and for women especially iodine is really important and that is you know in in terms of fertility and health of the baby iodine is 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 vital it's Mm -hmm. as important as folic acid in terms of 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 health Um, so an iodine supplement is really important not a kelp based or a seaweed based one um, because they can contain too much iodine and that can throw your thyroid off off um, so it needs to be potassium iodate or iodide, and you'll find that in the ingredients in the ingredients list. But with my patients, I always say, just take small steps. That's all that's needed initially, and that will lead to to bigger ones and more sustainable changes. So if I have um, a male who doesn't want to give up meat and but he could be quite open to reducing his red meat and his processed meat. And especially when I explain that with iron for men, if you have too much iron, it can negatively affect sperm quality. So, and it's really interesting actually, because with heme iron, it is more readily absorbed. And, you know, everyone will say that as a reason for eating heme iron. But actually, once we absorb it, our bodies aren't very good. At getting rid of it, then too much heme iron is a source of oxidative stress, and it can cause damage to our cells and DNA, including sperm. So, non-heme iron in plants, our bodies are much better at regulating it. If our supplies are low, we, we absorb more. If our supplies are plentiful, we absorb less. So, mm. replacing, you know, processed meat and red meats with with plant protein would be a great place to start.
0: Oh, interesting. So again just really highlighting those foods to add in and perhaps the the ones to reduce because of all the reasons that you've mentioned before. And then it just must be so rewarding when you get that email from from patients saying that they've been perhaps, I don't know, trying for years, have they? And then after making some of these changes, they've then been kind of successful and they're either pregnant or letting you know that they've given birth to a healthy baby. That must just be the best feeling in the world.
1: (laughs) It really is. It really is. (laughs) makes it all worthwhile it just makes my day when i get those emails
0: i can imagine i can imagine um and so i suppose all of that work and experience and research has come together for um to you writing this book um could you tell us a little bit about the the book that you've written and when it's out the title and where people will be able to get their hands on it as well
1: i can show you it (laughs) (laughs) it's called plant-based dietitian's guide to fertility and then from preconception to healthy birth um, and you, it's available now for pre-order on Amazon and um, Hammersmith books as well. Oh. And it's out for publication on the 27th of April. So it's very exciting.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I'm having a launch party as well. So tickets are on sale now. The link is in my bio on Instagram. So all are welcome. So if you know someone who's struggling with fertility, or if you're just thinking about trying to conceive, then do pop along. There's amazing food, some amazing plant-based food. um, And I'll be signing copies of the book at a reduced price as well and doing a bit of a QA and a session there as well.
0: Fantastic. And that's in Cardiff, isn't it? Is that right?
1: That's in Cardiff yes
0: too far from Birmingham maybe I should head along (laughs) and it'll be (laughs) (laughs) released uh, during National Fertility Awareness Month is that the name of the month is that correct
1: yeah it is and that was always my intention when I wrote when I started writing the book 18 months ago that I wanted it released during that week um so yeah it's amazing it all went on track and it's that's what's happening
0: Great. And the, the content of the book, just to give people a little um, bit of a taste, is it kind of a, a how-to? Is it um, suggestions for, for things, to for, for what to cook? Or is it kind of more research-based? Like, look, this is what, um, this is what the research tells us. Do, do you see what I mean? Like, what kind of form does the book take? That might be interesting for people to hear about. Do
1: you know what? There's so much information in this book. <laughs> so it's, it's for men and women. Um, because the, the the focus tends often to be on women for fertility, but actually, when you think about it, it's 50-50, fifty, isn't it? So, and there's so much evidence for men as well. And I'm really passionate about getting that conversation started with men and making it you know okay to talk about male infertility. Um, and and actually, there was a, the HFEA, which is the UK's kind of governing body for fertility treatment and embryo research. They in in a report that they did um, fairly recently, thirty seven percent of people accessing fertility treatment, it was because of male infertility. So it's okay. you know there are, it's huge numbers. Um, so I talk about um, endometriosis, polycystic ovaries, um, inequalities or ethnic inequalities in um, healthcare. Um, in accessing fertility treatment which is a really important topic mm-hmm. um, I talk about uh, there, it's all kind of devised into the six pillars so there's a, a big section on nutrition there are lots of my recipes in there as well fertility friendly recipes um, and myths about fertility that are often widespread including the fact you can't eat soya which is a huge myth. Um, yeah, there's just there's, there's loads of yeah. information there, and I just hope that anyone who's trying to conceive will find it helpful.
0: Yeah, I almost brought that up when you, when you mentioned soya, um, you know, soya milk and, and other products, because there is this association, isn't there, with, I think males in particular, isn't it? How that can be disrupting your hormones and can lead to what growing man boobs and reducing your test, size of your testicles and things like this. And it's just, you know, I've seen so many, uh, rebuttals to that and just saying, no, 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 that, that's not the case. Um, so uh, yeah, I almost picked up on that, but uh, I don't know, is anything you want to add about that that just, that's a myth and it's nonsense. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely not the case, but also <laughs> a, a myth that women going through fertility treatment shouldn't have soya as well because it can negatively affect the outcomes, where actually the evidence says the opposite. So um, it's been shown that that women who include soya in their diet have um, improved fertility outcomes. Right. And also there's another myth that soya can cause early ovarian ageing and induce menopause. Um, but when we look at the countries where soya intakes are far higher than ours, there's no evidence of that happening at all or on you know the, the male testosterone. So I always recommend two to three servings of soya a day. So 80 to 100 grams of tofu tempeh um, and 80 to 100 grams of edamame beans, 200 mm-hmm. mils of milk, 125 grams of soy yogurt. They're all one portion. So aiming for two to three a day.
0: Yeah, where do these myths come from? I just don't get it. I, I don't,
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere. They're absolutely they everywhere. It seems to be no matter how, how often we try and put them right, they they just keep springing up.
0: But yeah. we can keep going. <laughs> so many of them. And I picked up on you saying about fertility friendly recipes, and I've got to ask about that. Like what's your then your your favourite fertility friendly recipe? Have you got a favourite?
1: Oh, I don't know. So there are so many of them. I, do you know what? I love a tofu stir fry. That's one nice, of my favorite yeah. things to do. And we tend to have that on a Monday because I have an all-day meeting at work on a Monday and I come home absolutely drained. So I find uh, I find a stir fry a really quick and easy meal to prepare and it's just yeah. delicious. And my favorite sauce is peanut butter-based. Um, and yeah, it, it takes... Less than half an hour, and it's on the table, so perfect.
0: Oh, like literally, it can take fifteen minutes, can't it? If you've got the kind of prepared stir fry veg, do the tofu, make a little sauce, and like, uh, yeah, peanut butter sauce is just incredible. Like, would you do like soy sauce, peanut butter, maybe lime, maybe a bit of or oh, what's this sriracha, something like that, maple syrup, yeah, something nice like that butter. to sweeten. Yeah, just a
1: bit of sesame oil as well is yeah. lovely.
0: It's so good. It's so good. Um, Oh, great. And I added tofu to a curry the other day, which I'd never done before, but I just thought I'm going to try it. So I roasted a bit of veg and I think I'd already cooked my tofu as well. I don't know if I'd roasted it. I can't remember, but I added that in and it was, it was so tasty and just another way because I'm, I'm looking for ways to eat more tofu and seitan and tempeh and things and it just seemed to be a very convenient, quick, and I'd made just a, a huge curry, and it was had plenty, of, like two packets of tofu in there as well, so it was brilliant.
1: Oh, it's delicious! I love a tofu curry. I think yeah. that's in my book as well, if I remember. Oh,
0: there you yeah. go. There you go. I'll have to check it out and see how much better your recipe is because I'm sure it's <laughs> <laughs> right, Lisa. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for coming on the podcast and talking about a, I guess quite, quite a difficult topic, can't it be um, an, an emotional topic, but. The fact that you are doing such amazing work helping couples to to conceive and have babies is just it's is, is incredible and um uh, yeah just to get that information out there that you've got that we've well, got these these tools in front of us and it just can be some slight changes to our diet and lifestyle and we could be really helping ourselves to to conceive so it's really really great to hear from you
1: oh thanks for having me on it's been lovely chatting with you
0: Likewise, likewise. Well, I've got to ask you three questions though, before before you go, three questions that I always ask every guest. Um, so the first one is, what's one lesson that you wish you'd have been taught as a child?
1: Do you know what? I wish that I could go back now and actually say to my younger self, just be yourself. Because I think I was really, really shy and quiet and unconfident when I was younger. And I went to an all-girls school until I was 10. And I remember it being super competitive. And I always felt a bit kind of on the outside. And that was a theme then throughout my school life, I think. And I always used to compare myself to other people. And I'd want to be more popular or, you know, have nicer clothes. Or just I'd always want to be like someone else rather than just be myself, which is actually okay. Mm
0: And if I could add one habit to my life to help me feel better or just great generally, what habit should I add to my life? Do
1: you know what? I'd actually say what can you remove and that and that would be your phone. <laughs> Do you know what I found recently that it's just I don't know, I've got a kind of a love-hate relationship with my phone and I've noticed with my eldest as well, it's almost impossible to get it off him. And I just think if we spent less time on our phones, we would have such a better quality of life. We'd have a better sleep because all the blue light wouldn't be disturbing us. We'd actually spend more quality time with our friends and our family Um, our mental health would be improved because you're not aimlessly scrolling and I think you absorb a lot of information without actually knowing you've absorbed the information as well and you can be bombarded with so much negativity can't you online as well so I think really reducing phone time would improve our general health hugely
0: and if you could give everyone in the world just one book, which book would it be? And feel free to say your own book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously my own book. Do you know what? That's such a hard question because I literally devour books. But one one comes to mind. So have you ever read Shantaram? No. no. So I came across this book. I lived in Africa for a year and I came across it accidentally because in Africa, or where I was in Tanzania, the electricity goes off every single night. and I think it was around seven o'clock. So there was nothing to do apart from put my head torch on and read a book. So I was looking for one that was as big as possible, so it would last me as long as possible. And I came across this book. <laughs> That's the only thing I was looking for, just a massive book. And I came across this shantaram, and it's almost a 1,000 pages long. And... The author wrote it when he was in prison, so it's I, there's kind of a lot of talk about whether it's based on a true story or whether it's complete fiction. But I want to I want to think that it's based on a true story because it's an incredible book, and he wrote it in prison, and it was twice destroyed by the prison guards. So to me, I mean that is immense determination to rewrite a book three times of that size, and it's just beautiful. It, it there's everything in there. It's crime. There's Love, friendships, humanity. It's it's just a a really beautiful read and I would recommend it to everyone.
0: Oh brilliant. I I I have not heard of it at all. So I I love hearing a book recommendation that it was not even on my radar whatsoever. How do you spell it then? The title? Shantaram, did you say?
1: Shant Shantaram. So S H A N T Shantaram. Yeah.
0: Okay, interesting. Right. Added to the list.
1: Gregory David Roberts. That's the author.
0: Perfect. Thank you for that. Okay. And where can people connect with you now on social media?
1: Well, I work at Plant Based Health Online. So that's where I see my private patients. Um, I'm most active on Instagram. So um, RD Plant Based is my um, tag. So I post lots of things on there. Um, Not just fertility,
0: everything. (laughs) (laughs) everything yeah and i'll attest to that it covers lots which is great (laughs) okay right lisa thank you so much for your time again and i'm yeah looking forward to sharing this episode and getting out there and hopefully it can can help people and they find it interesting
1: amazing thank you
0: thank you for tuning in i hope you found my conversation with lisa insightful If you did enjoy the episode please share it with friends family and colleagues who you think would find it helpful you can also support the podcast by following and rating the show on whichever app you're listening on thank you again and i look forward to bringing you another episode soon